Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. The best part of waking up is listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is not a cup of coffee. Good morning, everybody. It is January 4th, 2021. This is the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. I started to do a program yesterday, and I was headed to the boat launch and never did get to publish it. So before I get into today's program, I'm going to incorporate the yesterday afternoon Truth Hurts program midday Sunday edition, and then I'll be back with the rest of today's Monday business. We'll do that right after this. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Sunday afternoon edition, a January 3rd, 2021 edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z from the front seat. Yes, boys and girls of the old F-250 pickup truck. As I tow the boat down to the launch at Lake Moripah for a little afternoon boat ride. But a few thoughts came to mind, so I thought I'd share them with you. And I thank you very much for indulging me in this new year. Eleven, count them, eleven members of the United States House of Representatives, all Republicans, have now come out and said they are going to challenge in open session the Electoral College selection, the selection of the slate of electors for the 2020 presidential election. Eleven and more expected to join the bandwagon as continuous, widespread voter irregularity and out-and-out voter fraud are being brought up day by day by day in multiple states, including those battleground states, where President Donald Trump is claiming he was screwed, cheated, had the election stolen from him. And although many, many indications have been brought forward, many allegations, many accusations, many signed, sworn, notarized, signed, sealed, and delivered affidavits, the media continues to say, There was no fraud. There was no fraud in our election system. After that same media spent four years lying to you, claiming there was indeed fraud against Donald Trump or by Donald Trump, rather, against Hillary Clinton. They speak out of both sides of their mouth. The double standard is alive and kicking. Twelve, actually eleven, looks like twelve will by tomorrow be ready to go into the open chamber of the House and openly protest against the certification. It is our sincere hope and, through inside sources, our belief that Vice President Mike Pence will also deny the slates of electors put forth in several of the states where widespread, rampant voter fraud, irregularities, and improbable 
if not impossible, voting numbers statistically, especially in those states where the Dominion voting software was utilized. That should scare the hell out of anyone. Of course, the Democrats and the willing lamestream media, including now even Fox, have come out and said these Republicans are just shit-stirrers, that they have no basis. they got plenty of basis for their open decrying against this sham election. But they're not going to admit that because it goes against the narrative. It's not a conspiracy theory. Quit shaking your head. Cut it out. Look at this realistically. Look back four short years ago when these very same types of allegations and accusations were levied against Donald Trump and the Republicans. Do you recall the massive, large-scale, widespread investigations? The FBI investigations, the CIA investigations, the NSA investigations? They uncovered every rock and every stone, and they tried their damnedest to get the Republicans and Donald Trump. This go-round, they turn a blind eye, sweep everything under the rug, and pretend there was not a damn thing wrong. And they will not lift a finger to properly investigate the allegations that have been brought forth in this election. Nope, not worth our time. Everyone's bought and paid for. It's a damn shame. Meanwhile, our country, which I've always been told is a nation of laws, is deteriorating and crumbling right before our very eyes. More and more states this past November enacted laws which will go on the books this week to decriminalize drug use, drug abuse, drug sales, possession of drugs. Hell, in Seattle, Washington, they have a law on the books now that has made it no longer a crime, no longer prosecutable for people to assault you, steal from you, carjack you, attack you, do many, many other things, destroy your property, commit arson, commit acts of violence. It's no longer illegal in Seattle if, and here's the big if, boys and girls, if the person committing the crime can prove that they are, quote-unquote, poor, P-O-O-R. Yes, it's a hall pass for the homeless, a hall pass for 25, 30-year-old boys and girls who live in their mommy's basements and don't want to get a job or couldn't hold down a job if they tried because they have income levels that are considered poverty level. And if you are considered to be a victim of poverty, a victim of poverty, if you are considered to be a victim of poverty, the courts will now have to excuse your bad behavior. Not just verbal assault, but physical assault. If you are in poverty and you decide to go and bash some rich guy over the head because he's wearing a nice suit, maybe has a Rolex watch on, possibly driving a BMW, you think he's got money and you feel like assaulting him, robbing him, 
urinating on him, slapping him, spitting on him, setting his car ablaze. It's okay. You will not be charged with a crime. You realize this is an open pass for bad behavior in the city of Seattle, Washington, which is actually a place I was thinking about going this year to take a cruise to Alaska out of Seattle and go up the western United States and western Canadian coast up to Alaska. But now I think I'll just fly directly into Anchorage and bypass Seattle altogether. Lord knows someone like me, your host, Steve Z, who is the epitome of white privilege, right? I'm white. I have a nice vehicle. Hell, I'm pulling a boat right now. Got a nice watch on. White privilege. So some poor homeless bum or some poor hyphenated American double-A 13% minority guy who doesn't work and can say, I'm poor, I'm in poverty, I don't have nothing. I just want to beat that bald-headed white guy up and take his watch and his car and his boat. And I should be excused for this because I'm a victim of poverty. The hell with Steve Z being a victim of assault, a victim of battery, a victim of robbery, a victim of carjacking or boatjacking or watchjacking. To hell with Steve's victim status of being victimized by some piece of crap human being who is too lazy to get a job or too mentally unstable to be able to hold down one. It's okay now in Seattle, Washington. You go right ahead, you poor Seattle people. Oh, you poor, poor people. And they're defunding the cops. They say they're not, but they have cut police budgets by multiple percentages, I believe double digits percentages, which equates to millions of dollars in less police revenue available than was available last calendar year. Less revenue means, of course, less cops. But less cops means more work for those cops who are there. And heaven forbid, those cops get a little attitude problem with now having to pull the load of two cops because the budget was cut and people were furloughed and laid off. Heaven forbid. But Steve, this is only happening in Seattle, right? This is the only area. We're nowhere near Seattle. That's happening also, folks, in places like Portland, Oregon. That's still not anywhere close to the south, Steve. I understand that. But the police are being defunded in New Orleans. Not completely. But cops are being furloughed every pay period. Each New Orleans police officer has to take one day off without pay, which amounts to, in a 10-day pay period, a 10% pay cut for each cop. Now imagine, you're making 50 grand a year. You're just eking by, you know, paying your bills, doing your thing, paying your mortgage, your car note, your insurance, your groceries, your utilities, perhaps your kid's tuition because you don't want to put your kids in that animal-infested joke as the New Orleans public school is known. And now they're going to cut your pay by 10%. Instead of making 50, now you make 40. Five. 45. Sorry, got to do the math properly here. Carry the one. Yep. 45. 
Sorry, folks, trying to dodge traffic here a little bit on a Sunday afternoon with a boat in tow. Try and get around all these other crazy kooks going to the boat launch. But imagine you've got a 10% pay cut. But you're still expected to show up and do your job properly and not have an attitude problem against the thug animal criminals who infest the city of New Orleans like cockroaches and rats, who carjack with impunity, who go on wild sprees through entire neighborhoods, bashing windows and breaking into cars, stealing cars, carjacking cars with children strapped in car seats in the back, pulling guns on people and assaulting them, assaulting people at knife point, robbing stores, robbing convenience stores and gas stations. Imagine, my friends, and this happens in the city of New Orleans every single day. The crime rate is up 153% in the city of New Orleans. Oh, now you're starting to see the picture of what long-term effects on your safety happen because of defunding efforts of the police. Well, that's going to do it for this small segment of the Truth Hurts program. Time to dump the boat in the water, take a little ride at 55 degrees, sunny skies, and a light breeze blowing out of the northwest. We'll be back. This is the Truth Hurts program. There you are now, all caught up. That takes care of Sunday, so now we'll get to today's program, the Monday, January 4th, 2021 edition of the Truth Hurts program. Today would have been my dad's 95th birthday, so 95 years he would have been alive. Dad passed away in 1979, so a very happy birthday in heaven to my pops. So what's going on on this January 4th, 2021? Well, once again, I need the, I have the urge to, and I have the need to tell you all that I told you so, that I was correct. I was right. I was right. As I accurately predicted on this program in mid-2020, it has come to pass. I said earlier this year that if Joe Biden and Camel Toe Harris won this election, all of the made-up, ginned-up, trumped-up, media-fueled, media-promoted anarchy that was designed specifically to divert your attention away from the massively successful, wildly positive Donald Trump economy would simply disappear after the election. In fact, where's Antifa? Where's the BM, uh, BLM movement? Where's NFAC, the protests, the riots, the anarchy, the looting, the shooting, the burning? Much of it's still there. It's just not being publicized by the media. As I accurately predicted on this program, it all has simply gone away. It was designed, engineered, manufactured, produced, edited, and presented to you for the specific purpose 
of diverting your attention away from the wildly positives of the Donald Trump economy. I called your attention to this issue way, way back as early as May. I specifically pointed out my thoughts that suddenly, without any other provocation other than media steering of the sheeple, that all reports of the looting, the shooting, the anarchy, the arson, the property damage, the protests, the riots, the assault and battery issues associated with those so-called peaceful protests would simply vanish from the headlines, from the front pages of the newspapers, and never be shown again on the evening newscasts. Poof, like magic. And I, your humble host, Steve Z, was 100% correct and accurate. I said once the election was in the bag for Gropey Joe and Camel Toe, that all the distractions orchestrated by a willing leftist media would simply vanish and it has indeed gone away. Even though the actual statistics for crime, especially in those big cities, especially in those Democrat-run urban areas, show marked increases, record numbers of carjackings, murders, rapes, assaults, arson, property damage, vandalism, public vagrancy, all have occurred and increased exponentially in places like New Orleans, Memphis, Detroit, Milwaukee, New York, Chicago, Portland, and Seattle, just to name a few. Oh, and speaking of Seattle, boys and girls, you do not want to go to Seattle, especially if your appearance, your race, your style of car, your manner of dress, or any other thing might possibly identify you as a successful white person. You know, a person of privilege, a person of means. Because in Seattle, as of this new year, 2021, new laws on the books allow so-called victims of poverty to now actually get away with crimes unpunished, scot-free, off the hook, a free pass. Do not pass go, do not go to jail, Hell, the only thing missing is the pickup $200, except now it's $300 thanks to the so-called COVID stimulus package. That's right, kids. If you are a poor person, if you can identify yourself as a victim of poverty in the city of Seattle and you commit a crime, many misdemeanors, you will not be charged if you commit them. They include theft, robbery, assault and battery, property damage, and indecent exposure, amongst other crimes for which you or I would otherwise be prosecuted. Once upon a time, Seattle was a very, very clean and positive-minded city. It was one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Situated as it is beside the beauty of Puget Sound with the Cascades in one direction and the majesty of the Olympic Peninsula in the other direction, it is placed in one of the world's most beautiful locations. It's also a stopping point or a starting point for many cruises to Alaska. Fantastic fishing. Beautiful walks in nature. The climate is enviable. Never too cold, never too hot. Sometimes a little damp and rainy, but nothing compared to the nearby rainforests outside of Seattle. 
Wandering through a Pike Place market is a magical experience, or at least it was back in the old days. Not anymore, boys and girls. Seattle has gone cuckoo. They've lost to the inherently irrational progressive agenda that is raging across many urban areas in the United States. Nothing there is logical. Nothing makes sense. It is as if the madness of Alice in Wonderland has come to life in all directions in which you look. Use, for example, the ongoing consideration of the City Council of Seattle, which will then make it impossible for the city to prosecute any crimes of poverty. If approved, and I think it has been, no, it has been. (laughs) The ordinance will excuse and dismiss which effectively legalizes misdemeanor crimes committed by any offender who can show symptoms of drug addiction. No medical diagnosis is necessary. Any symptoms of a mental disorder of any type or any evidence of poverty and that a crime was committed to meet, quote, a basic and immediate need, unquote. So if this ordinance continues and is not reversed in Seattle. If you're a junkie, you're basically going to be handed what is in effect a get-out-of-jail-free card for any misdemeanor you desire to commit. If you're clean and straight and sober, but you don't have a job, you live in mommy and daddy's basement, but you're unemployed, you decide you need to walk out of a local supermarket with an armload of steaks and a case of Cokes, a couple bottles of booze, it's okay. You get away scot-free. You skate, as they say. If you have any kind of mental disorder at all, all bets are off. You can commit whatever misdemeanor crime you wish. Scott Lindsay is the former public safety advisor for the city of Seattle, and he had this to say. I'm not aware of any legislation like this anywhere in the United States or even globally. All cities have criminal codes to protect the citizens from criminal acts. This new law would essentially create a legal loophole that swallows all the codes and creates a green light for crime, unquote. He added, if you don't feel very protected right now, this would wipe out almost all remaining protections that we have. This would absolutely open the floodgates for crime in Seattle, even worse than what we often currently struggle with. It's basically a blank check for anybody committing theft, assault, harassment, and trespass to continue without disruption from our criminal justice system, unquote. One of the writers for the Seattle City Journal, a newspaper named Chris Rufo, said that the impact of this proposed ordinance is, quote, on a practical level, it will effectively legalize an entire spectrum of misdemeanor crimes, including theft, assault, harassment, drug possession, property destruction, and indecent exposure. The impact of this measure will be enormous. It then goes on to say, in 2019, the Seattle Police Department reported almost 26,000 thefts, almost 8,500 assaults, almost 6,500 property offenses, and over 4,000 frauds, 4,000 trespasses, and 1,640 narcotics violations, and that those represented 72% of all reported crimes in the city of Seattle. This new ordinance will effectively 
permit all of those crimes to occur without prosecution going forward. Look, folks, this is not an attempt to work around the edges of a criminal justice system. This is a proposal to gut the criminal justice system and effectively legalize most of the crimes that occur in any city. The proponents of this measure believe that the system is inherently racist and oppressive. They don't think men and women who prey on law-abiding citizens are criminals who deserve punishment. They don't even think of them as drunks or drug addicts who should be put in rehab and forced to deal with their substance abuse problems. Nope. In today's Seattle, these individuals are now called victims. Victims of poverty. Supposedly, they've been abused by an evil capitalist Democrat system that they've been forced to engage in criminal activity just to survive existing in that system. A man who knocks you down and takes your purse is not considered a thug now. He's a hero fighting back against the man. The guy exposing himself and urinating on the sidewalk is not a drunk or even someone who needs to be compelled to undergo treatment for a mental health disorder. Instead, he is at the vanguard of the new society that must be built in Seattle. What's happening, folks, is a complete teardown and degradation of the criminal justice system. It is the ushering in of the new Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm not trying to get all crazy biblical on you folks. But when we cease to be a society of laws, then lawbreakers will get away with whatever the hell they want to get away with. It's just that simple. This is the Truth Hurts Program. We'll be right back. Listening to the Truth Hurts program is the highlight of my day. Okay, it really is not, but that's what Steve Z told me to say. I am not oppressed because I am a computer. I, I'm not sure I can get it up in time. My vote, that is. I'm having problems in the voting booth, if you know what I mean. I'm not used to having someone watch directly over my shoulders when I, you know, do it. I used to be able to do it several times without any problems. Now I can't. Does this sound like you at election time? Perhaps you need medical help. Votalis may be just what you need. What about an election that lasts more than four hours? How about one that lasts more than four days? What's a man to do? Votalis is for elections lasting more than 24 hours and may cause sleeplessness, changes in mood, hissy fits, nervousness, nausea, vomiting, uncontrollable anxiety, weight gain, inability to perform, and other side effects. Ask your election official if Votalis is right for you. Now that I've found Votalis, I don't care when the election gets resolved. Thanks, Votalis. Meanwhile, over in Kenosha, Wisconsin, there's a new lawsuit against the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Ah, yes, Kenosha, Wisconsin, the place where days and days of destruction following the drug overdose death of the criminal George Floyd occurred. Kenosha, Wisconsin. 
Okay, now I want to turn your attention to another city in the northern part of our nation. Another Democrat-run hellhole. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, there's now a lawsuit against the city of Kenosha. You know, Kenosha, Wisconsin, that city who erupted in violent protests, riots, anarchy, and looting after the police shot a criminal named Jacob Blake. You know, cops doing their job, stopping crime. During those days of violent protests, including riots and shooting and looting and assault and battery and property damage and arson, people with zero ties to Jacob Blake, in that city, a young teenage boy named Kyle Rittenhouse was attacked on video in a three-on-one attack in which Rittenhouse used his right to protect himself and his right to keep and bear arms to fend off the attackers. His self-defense actions led to two of his attackers being killed and one being injured. Enter the television lawyers. Likely unsuccessful to ever prosecute Rittenhouse on the charges of murder and assault with a deadly weapon that they've been trying to get him on, because Rittenhouse was indeed defending himself against a three-on-one violent attack. The ambulance-chasing esquires of Kenosha have turned their greedy attention to the city of Kenosha, to the county, to the police agencies and other municipal departments within the city of Kenosha. Why? Well, according to Newsweek Online, two lawsuits totaling $20 million have been filed against the authorities in Kenosha, claiming that the city's negligence resulted in suspect Kyle Rittenhouse's alleged shooting of his victims. The family of 26-year-old Anthony Huber, one of the two people allegedly killed by Rittenhouse, and the injured victim... Gage Grosskreutz have both filed separate $10 million damage suits in connection to the shootings that occurred at a bowel movement, ah, excuse me, Black Lives Matter movement protest on August 25th in Kenosha. Kyle Rittenhouse, a teenage boy, was accused of traveling from his hometown a few miles away over the state line in Antioch, Illinois, to the city of Kenosha supposedly to join up with militia groups as people protested the police shooting of the criminal Jacob Blake. Rittenhouse is accused of shooting dead Mr. Huber and 36-year-old Joseph Rosenbaum, as well as injuring Mr. Grosskreutz during what Mr. Rittenhouse accurately claims were acts of self-defense. The suits from Grosskreutz and Huber's families each issued notice of claims against the city of Kenosha, Kenosha County, the Sheriff's Department, Sheriff David Beth, Police Chief Daniel Miskinis, as well as yet unknown number of former city and law enforcement employees. Yes, they're just reaching into every pocket they possibly can. But what do you expect from an ambulance-chasing esquire, a TV lawyer? 
The lawsuits say that on the night of the shooting, Kenosha police and the sheriff's department were aware of, condoned, cooperated with, and enabled the actions of armed vigilante groups who took it upon themselves to patrol the city back in August, with law enforcement even filmed thanking militia groups for their presence and handing out water to them. The suit accuses the city of Kenosha and law enforcement of negligence of intentional infliction of emotional distress for their response on the night of the shooting, which resulted in those victims being shot, amongst other claims. Mr. Grosskreutz is requesting $10 million as compensation over loss of income and future earnings, as well as permanent physical damage, pain, and suffering over the shooting. In the suit filed on behalf of Huber, it is noted that police failed to apprehend Rittenhouse as he walked down the streets with his hands in the air as people yelled out that he had just shot Huber. His parents, John Huber Jr. and Karen Bloom, are suing for $10 million in compensation for damages that include loss of companionship of their son. We are basically looking to sue different actors within the city of Kenosha, as well as the city of Kenosha itself, who we believe were negligent in allowing of Mr. Rittenhouse to indiscriminately run around the weak and protest with a loaded weapon, according to an attorney for Grosskreutz. Rittenhouse is due to stand trial. He's accused of two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, one count of first-degree intentional homicide, uh, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, and two counts of first-degree recklessly endangering safety. The lawyer said, The primary objective is that we believe Mr. Rittenhouse should be convicted of all the charges he's facing. Oh, go screw yourself. Kyle Rittenhouse was age 17 at the time. He's accused of killing two people and injuring a third during those protests over the summer. He was charged in August with multiple counts, including reckless and intentional homicide, endangerment, and being a minor in possession of a firearm. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that prosecutors added violating a curfew on the night of the shootings to the list of charges. The offense is civil citation. Prosecutors allege that Rittenhouse, who is white, they have to point that out, left his home in Antioch and traveled to Kenosha after learning of a call for militia to protect businesses in that city on August 25th. By the way, last time I checked, peaceful militia is something that is guaranteed in our founding documents, right? Okay, just checking. Ah. <sighs> Prosecutors allege Rittenhouse, who was white, left his home in Antioch. He was in the throes of several nights of chaotic street demonstrations after a white police officer shot Jacob Blake, who was black, leaving Blake paralyzed. Blake was in the process of committing crimes when he was shot. He refused to obey the officer's commands, if you remember. He then reached into a vehicle, which he could have been grabbing for a weapon, he refused to follow the lawful instructions of police, and he was shot, as he should have been, except they should have just killed him. Rittenhouse then opened fire, supposedly, with an assault-style rifle. Stop. I love how these Newsweek people and these other leftist media groups use terms that don't exist. There is no such thing as an assault rifle. It 
it's not something that exists. It's a made-up term. According to this article, Rittenhouse opened fire with an assault-style rifle during the protest that night, killing Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber and wounding Gage Grosskreutz. Rittenhouse has argued he fired in self-defense. Well, let me say this. Why does this article in Newsweek not say that those three men attacked Rittenhouse, which is clearly shown in videos? Clearly. Three against one. I would feel like I would have to do something to protect myself. They're trying to make it out that Rittenhouse was running through the city looking for people to shoot. And another question, how come they haven't pointed out the fact that Rosenbaum, Huber, and Grosskreutz are all white? They had to point out Jacob Blake was black. Oh my God, a white cop shot a black guy. And they have to say that Rittenhouse, who is white, left his home in Antioch and traveled to Genosha. But they don't say anything about Rosenbaum, Huba, and Grosskreutz all being white as well. All three of those names pretty much sound very white. Supporters of the bowel movement, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, have painted Rittenhouse as a trigger-happy white supremacist. As far as I was told, and for, as far as what I've seen, Rittenhouse was there with a first aid kit rendering aid to people who were injured during the riots. Conservatives, over, uh, conservatives upset over property destruction during recent protests have portrayed Rittenhouse as a patriot for exercising, first, his Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms during the unrest, secondly, for acting in self-defense in a three-against-one assault on Rittenhouse. By the way, you don't have to worry too much about Mr. Rittenhouse being destitute and left broke. A legal defense fund has raised millions of donations for Mr. Rittenhouse uh, to date. Just thought you'd be interested in hearing that. Anyway... That's the crazy, wacky crap going on in snow country in the northern part of our nation. It's not getting any better, folks. It's just that the media right now is hiding anything related to riots, civil unrest, unpeaceful protests, anarchy, looting, shooting, carjacking. They want to make you all believe that now that Gropey Joe and Camel Toe have been elected... The world is wonderful and peaceful again, and Bambi's going to come out and find that Bambi's parents weren't really shot and killed by evil hunters, but were just in hiding from the orange man, and that the birds and the butterflies will land on your shoulder, and everyone will sing a lovely song, Kumbaya, with a Coke and a smile and a circle of polar bears. Telling you folks, they are leading the sheeple. Don't be one of the sheeple. This is the Truth Hurts program. We'll be right back. The Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It's like hearing what you are actually thinking. Only with a really cool DJ voice saying it.
The following is a non-paid advertisement for people whose butts hurt. Oh, sorry. I mean, for minorities that are butt hurt. Face it, Republicans have been a pain in the butt and Democrats have falsely promised but under-delivered for decades. Ooh, we are so is glad that Biden and Kamato Harris have won the day election for sure. Now it's time for something I've been needing for many years now. Since 1863 to be exact. Thanks to Ms. Harris being a new vice president, I's gonna get me some fresh tube of Reparation H. I sure is glad I got me some Reparation H. Now slide it in there, baby. Oh yeah, that's the way. Just like I like it. Yay, nice and slow. Oh, 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 easy, baby. That feels like an elbow. Reparation H is the camel toe Harris answer to getting back to those she pandered to. Reparation H is the topical treatment of Trump derangement syndrome, or butt heart syndrome, and is the reparation of choice in the BM movement. Reparation H is for double eight 13% minorities who have never been slaves, but feel like they are owed something because their great 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 not so great granddaddy might have been a slave, but have not proved to back up that statement. Reparation H is endorsed by Camel Toe Harris and is for black people only. Reparation H is properly applied by sticking your thumb right up your... Well, you get the picture, baby. I got my reparation from Reparation H. Yesterday, on Sunday, the Washington Post published a phone call that allegedly occurred between President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Many observers are now sharing a question. Did the orange man break the law? During what has been touted as an hour-long phone call on Saturday, the president allegedly urged Raffensperger to, quote, find unquote, enough votes to overturn his defeat, and then supposedly threatened Raffensperger with vague legal consequences, which some Republicans seem to think was encouraging Mr. Raffensperger to fix the election results. I think Mr. Trump was simply saying, we know there are thousands and thousands of questionable votes. I just want you to find 11,780 fraudulent votes. The hour-long call, allegedly, Mr. Trump pressured the Secretary of State to recalculate the vote in his favor. As the sole Democrat on Georgia's state election board Sunday urged Raffensperger to investigate the president over the call, Some lawyers and legal scholars say the president's actions appear to violate state and federal criminal statutes. Social media, much of the conversation among legal observers and Trump critics revolved around a federal statute called 52 U.S. Code 20511 that makes it a crime to knowingly and willfully deprive or defraud a state's residents of a free or fair election or attempt to do so. Well, let me stop you, boys and girls. That same code should be used in each and every one of the fraudulent votes that was alleged by those who have signed sworn affidavits to that effect. Loyola Marymount University law professor Justin Levitt says, the question will be, whether Trump was knowingly and willfully pressuring Raffensperger 
to count non-existent votes when he told the GOP officials, I just want to find 11,780 votes. In other words, does Trump actually believe that 11,780 ballots in his favor were cast but not counted? That's probably what the president thinks. Because there were so very many questionable ballots, ballots that were found, ballots that are allegedly lost, ballots from people who were dead and from people who no longer even live in that state. Now, considering they've already done two recounts and an audit, several judges have upheld Biden's win in Georgia, it is probably not going to turn the results of the election. That 52 U.S. Code 20511 was adopted as part of the National Voter Registration Act of 1993. It's been used very sparingly by federal prosecutors. It was last used in 2005 to go after a a Milwaukee, Wisconsin woman named Kimberly Prude, who voted illegally in the city while she was on probation. There's no precedent to use it against someone of Mr. Trump's stature, supposedly. Other legal scholars say Trump possibly violated 18 U.S. Code 241, which makes it illegal to participate in a conspiracy against people exercising their civil rights. One of those, of course, is the right to vote. That long-standing statute has been used to prosecute acts of voter intimidation, especially by those committed by the KKK against black voters, but never yet used against the new Black Panthers for intimidation at the polling places in several urban cities in the last three presidential elections. Charging the president under that code would require prosecutors to show that someone else on the phone was also aiding and abetting the scheme. Trump's apparent threat of criminal consequences if Raffensperger failed to act could be seen as an attempt at extortion, or it could be, hey buddy, you need to do your effing job and identify the fraudulent votes that we have alleged and that hundreds, if not thousands, of affidavits have also alleged. You see, they're trying to apply the double standard, boys and girls. They won't look into all of the fraudulent, questionable votes that the president and multiple thousands of people have said occurred, but they want to use this phone call against the president. Georgia Elections Board members called for a probe into the phone call. The argument may be more straightforward compared to a potential federal case. Under the Georgia statute, the crime would be merely asking someone else to partake in one of several forms of fraud, including interfering with the Secretary of State's handling of an election. Because such matters at the state level have rarely been interpreted in court, pretty unlikely the president will be charged, much less convicted, of any crime. Trevor Potter, a Republican and former Federal Election Commission chairman who was appointed by George H.W. Bush, told the New York Times that there is a good argument that Trump had been pushing for a fraudulent vote count during the call, but even if the Biden Justice Department thinks they have a good case, is that really how they want to start off the gropey joke presidency? They're out to get Trump. They've been out to get Trump since day one. 
They've had federal investigation after federal investigation after federal investigation, and they have come up with absolutely nothing. Zip, zero, nada, zilch. Nothing against the president. And now, in these final waning days, they're trying everything they can to tarnish Mr. Trump's legacy as he will most likely be headed out the door for a brief four-year pause. And then we'll see what happens. It's a new year. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? You know damn well you're not going to keep them. 98.65% of New Year's resolutions are never fulfilled, according to an article in Gambit. Just thought I'd bring that up to you. 98.65% never, never fulfilled. They say over 76% of resolutions made in an average new year are broken before the end of the first month of that new year. I'm not saying you can't do it, folks. My own dear sweet mother quit smoking one day She just lit one up and said, you know, these things really do taste like crap. She immediately put it out. She got up, threw the pack, the cigarette lighter, the ashtray in the trash, walked around the rest of her house and got rid of any references to smoking, hired a painter to come in and paint the walls, the ceilings, gave the place a really good cleaning and never lit up again. She's 81 now. Hmm. Good for you, Mom. One New Year's resolution that's stuck. That's going to do it for this Monday edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Go out there and make it a great day and a great start to the new year. And once again, happy birthday, Dad in heaven. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Copyright 2020, Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. We'll see you next time.